Our gracious Father, Lord, we come before you this morning seeking that you would teach us and instruct us again. And Father, I ask at this time that you would put your words in my mouth and let this time be a blessing and encouragement to each one of our hearts. Let each of us hear exactly what we need to hear and prepare us, dear Lord, to be missionaries that you can use on these campuses to further your work. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this would be a little bit hard <laughs> with the mic, um, but we'll make it work. So one of the things, can you guys really hear me? Uh, all right. You just put this in your pocket. Do Don't girls have, have pockets? Pocket? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> there are no pockets, but we're good. We're good. I'll make it work. Sorry. All right. So. All right. So one of the things that I hope that you guys are realizing by now is that campus ministry is not easy. Amen? It's one of the hardest mission fields ever. And as a result, because it's so hard, because there's such dangers of being on a secular campus, campus ministry calls for the highest caliber of missionaries, the, the very best, the most excellent type of missionaries. Yeah. And one of the things that I hope you saw in the quotations that Pastor Kim read was that those who enter these campuses as missionaries need to have the truth wrought into their very beings, right? In other words, they need to have, they need to be living, breathing, moving manifestos of the truth. And in John 17, 3, Jesus says that, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. So when we talk about the truth being wrought into our being, we're talking about the word of God being wrought into, being worked into our very beings. So we need to be living, breathing, moving manifestos of the word of God. Do you get what I'm saying? Because unless we have that experience, we cannot be campus missionaries. It calls for the highest caliber, people who just have the word of God living in them. And they are testimonies, living testimonies of the power of the gospel, right? And so. If I could give this session an alternate title, I'll call it simply the word. So I'm just going to take us through the methodology of campus ministries. And the way we put it at campus is we say biblical simplicity. That's it, just simply the word of God. And we're going to look at this on two different levels. First, how it is that when we get into doing ministry, all we need is just the word. And secondly, that we cannot preach the word until we've had our own living experience with it. You get what I'm saying? So first of all, take your Bibles with me. We're going to go through the book of Acts quickly. And I just want to use this to highlight a couple of themes that are prevalent in the book of Acts. If you're there, say amen. If you're not there, say have mercy. Um, so that's what we say in Boston, have mercy. Acts chapter 13. Everybody there? Okay. We're going to do this quickly. So I'm going to ask you guys to just follow with me, and we're going to read through. I just want to speak up to pick out a couple of important things that we're going to identify here in the book of Acts. So, reading from verse 13, we find Paul and his companion, loose from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and sat down. Okay? And when you read the rest of the verses, Paul gets up to preach Jesus to them in that synagogue, right? So we see Paul and his companion. Here they are in Colis Perga. Uh, how am I going to use this? <laughs> All right, you guys will work with me. Um, we find them in Perga. 
they enter the synagogue, and what they begin to do is they begin to preach Jesus um, as the risen Christ, right? Still in chapter 13, let's go to verse 42. It says, when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath, right? And so the Gentiles are beseeching Paul to come and preach what? You guys can talk to me. This is going to be interactive. To preach what? The word, right? They're saying that these words might be preached to them again the next Sabbath. You follow that? And so what Paul is preaching is just simply the word. These words might be preached to them again the next Sabbath. When you come down to verse 44, it says, The next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. All right? So what are they coming to hear? The word of God. So follow, you're going to see this repeated time and time again in the journeys of Paul. They're coming to hear the word of God, nothing else but the word. We're going to jump now, um, skip with me chapter 14. And again, we're just going to, I'm just going to show us this to make a point. Chapter 14, are you there? We're going to read verse 6. Um, there's the unbelieving Jews stir up the Gentiles and they cause chaos, and Paul and his companion flee. And this is in verse 6, they fled to Lystra and to Derb, cities of Lyconia, and unto the region that lieth round about. And there they preached what? The gospel, right? So they're preaching the word, they're preaching the gospel, right? They flee from Perga to Lystra and Derb, and when they get there, they just preach the gospel. Chapter 17. I've skipped about 15 and 16 because I just want to get to my point here. Chapter 17, um, reading verses 1 and 2. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures okay and so Paul is reasoning here out of the word of God out of the scriptures and I love the fact it uses the word reasoning sometimes we think that we need philosophies and human you know all kinds of intelligences out there Paul just reasons how from the scriptures and that tells me that the word of God is reasonable you get what I'm saying it appeals to reason and all you need when you're preaching the gospel on campus reason from the word of God that's it that's what Paul does Thessalonica everywhere he goes reasoning from the scriptures Chapter 13. But when the Jews of Thessalonica, and so just to give you guys a little bit of background, Paul's preaching in Thessalonica, there's chaos, there's uproar, he flees to Berea, and he's in Berea again preaching the word. And he says in verse 13, when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people, right? So what is being preached by Paul at Berea? The word of God. And you see another theme that will come up over and over again is what I'll call resistance or persecution or conflict. Every time Paul preaches, there's resistance, there's people opposing him, coming up with all kinds of schemes to probably even kill him. But Paul just flees. Next city, what is he doing? Preaching the word. That's all he does. You can, you can persecute me, try to kill me. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to keep on preaching. And that's all he does. Reasoning from the scriptures, preaching the word, even in Berea, right? Now, Something I absolutely love, um, verses 16 and 17. Now, Paul flees from Berea to Athens. Right? So I hope you guys are following. Uh, Derb, Thessalonica, Berea, and then now he finds himself in Athens. And verse 16 says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city 
wholly given to idolatry, okay? And I love that because it says that Paul is walking around in Athens and he sees the whole city given to idolatry, right? And his heart is stirred in him. Paul is moved, right? On our secular campuses, do we find idolatry? Do we find all kinds of sins? And the question is, are we stirred in our hearts when we see that? Are we moved to action? Paul is moved. And what does he do as a result? Verse 17, therefore, that means because, right? Therefore, he disputed in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him, right? That word persuaded, same word as reasoning. So all Paul does, reasoning from the scriptures again, and he does this everywhere he goes, in the synagogue with the Jews and second, in the marketplace daily. You guys been to a marketplace? Ever try to preach the word at a marketplace? There's all kinds of chaos, right? People are saying this for this amount and this and that. Where I'm from in Africa, everyone's shouting, you know, bananas, two cents. But you know, and it's just chaos, right? But Paul goes there daily, and everyone who meets with him, what he does, he just reasons, disputes with them from the scriptures. Do you guys see the themes? So what is Paul doing? Reasoning, preaching the word, disputing from the scriptures, right? And now, one of my favorite verses, verse 6. This is back in Thessalonica, and you're going to see why they say this. They say in verse 6, And when they found them not, this is the Jews that are stirring up trouble against Paul and his companion. They come to Jason's house, and he says, They drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Can you imagine? They're saying Paul and his companions have done what? Turned the world upside down. And how have they done that? just by preaching the word of God. That's all it takes. They turn the world as they knew it then, upside down. And we want to turn our schools upside down, friends. Amen? Actually, a good friend of mine corrected me. It's not upside down, but right side up. You get what I'm saying? We want to turn them right side up, because right now they're upside down. And so we do this how? Following Paul's example, just preach the word, reason from the scriptures. You don't need philosophies and you know, all kinds of apologetics. There's a place for apologetics. Follow me closely, yeah? But at the end of the day, what converts people, what wins people is just simply the word of God. That's all you need. Nothing more than that, simply the word, right? That's what Paul does, is preaches the word, reasons from the scriptures. Last case, and then we'll move on here. Um, chapter 18. Actually, I'm going to skip 18, because chapter 18, you see him again. He goes to Corinth, does the same thing, goes to the synagogue, preaches the word, reasons from the scriptures. Chapter 19, let me just take you there. Um, somebody read for me loud and clear verses 8 through 10. Acts 19. Anyone? Okay. Now, I particularly love this scripture because it finds Paul actually doing campus ministry, right? He went to the school of one Tyrannus. And when he went there, what did he do? Disputing daily, right? In, in verse 8, it says he spoke boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading concerning the kingdom of God, right? 
And according to verse 10, he's doing this again from the word of God. So he's disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. So you know Paul was a campus missionary, the very best of the very best. Do you get what I'm saying? And he disputes daily reasons from the word of God, nothing but the word of God. Now notice verse 10. It says, this continued for a space of how many years? Two, Two years. And some heard the word in Asia? It says all, right? Try to picture that, friends. The space of just two years, all who dwelt in Asia did what? Heard the word of the Lord. It doesn't say they were all converted. They all heard the word of God. And our task is not to convert the world, but to make them hear the what? The word of God. That's all we need to do is let them hear the word of the Lord. And that's what Paul does. And that's what turns the world upside down, right? Paul just preaching the word of God, letting them hear just the word. Now, let me ask you this, friends. Asia, as they knew it then, heard God's word in just two years. How many years did you spend on a secular campus? Four years, right? Undergrad, four years. Grad school, maybe five to seven years, right? And in the space of just two years, Paul and his companions took the word of God throughout all Asia as they knew it then, right? In the space of four years, cannot God do the same on our campuses, friends? All we need to do is do what? Simply the word. That's all. Just give them the word. That's it. Just open the Bible and give them the word. I'm going to show you a couple of quotations here, um, then we'll continue. This is from Gospel Workers, page 193, and it says this. If I can just pull it up here. It says, preach less and educate more by holding Bible readings and by praying with families and little companies. To all who are working with Christ, I would say, whenever you can gain access to the people by the fires that improve your opportunity. Okay, so it says, preach less, educate more. How? By holding what? Bible readings. Just open the Bible and just read it. That's all you need to do, friends. Is that hard? No, right? Just open the Bible and just read it. Now, I just want to take you through a couple of reasons why why the Word. Because how campus ministry, the answer is simply the Word, right? And one, I just want to show you a couple of reasons why we stress this so much at our ministry at campus. First of all, According to John 5.39, this is going to be, we're going to go through a lot of scripture together, so I hope you guys are sharp and alert. Are you with me? Am I speaking too fast? No. I tend to speak very fast, so if you find me speaking fast, just stop me, and I'll adjust accordingly. John 5.39, somebody's there, read it quickly for us. 5.39? Mm-hmm. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Okay, and so the scriptures testify of who? Of Jesus, right? In other words, through the Bible, through the scriptures, we come to know Jesus, and that's what salvation is, right? So basically, for people to be saved, to come to know Christ, they must study what? The Word of God. That's simply it. If you're going to lead people to Christ, you lead them there through the Word that testifies of Him, all right? Romans 10, 17, you guys know this one. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if people don't hear the word of God, they won't have what? Faith. So if you want to cultivate faith in people that you're reaching out to, you just need to share the word of God with them. That's what cultivates or grows faith, simply the word of God, right? So you just need to share the word of God with them. Other reason why we want to stress the word so much, I'm going to read here two quotations that I think will drive the point home hope you can all see that it's a it's from gospel workers page 192 and it says the plan of holding bible readings was a heaven-born idea there are many 
there are many, both men and women, who can engage in this branch of missionary labor. Workers may thus be developed who will become mighty men of God. By this means, the word of God has been given to thousands and the workers are brought into personal contact with people of all nations and tongues. The Bible is brought into families and its sacred truths come home to the conscious. Men are entreated to read, examine, and judge for themselves that, and they must abide the responsibility of receiving or re rejecting the divine enlightenment. God will not permit this precious work for him to go unrewarded. He will crown with success every humble effort made in his name. And I love the fact that it says that this plan of just holding Bible readings, just take the Bible and just read it with your friends. Read it you know, on the train. Read it in the classroom while waiting for your professor to come. Just open the Bible and just read it. This is heaven. It's a heaven-born idea, friends. It's, it's heaven-born. And if it's heaven-born, success is guaranteed. You get what I'm saying? Because it comes from God himself. And it says that if we do this, God will not permit our work to go what? Unrewarded. He will bless and multiply and basically make successful our humble efforts just simply by reading and studying the word of god with people that's all it takes heaven-born idea also important for our own salvation why we need to just share the word this one says open the scriptures to someone that is in darkness and you will not complain of weariness and lack of interest in the cause of truth your hearts will be awakened to an anxiety for souls and joy in the evidences of the faith will fill your hearts and you will know that he that watereth shall be watered also himself. So if I can read this quotation in contrast, if you're feeling weary and you have no interest at all in the cause of truth, what should you do? If you're feeling tired and have no interest in God's work, open the scripture to someone who is in need so the very act of sharing the word of god with somebody the very act of opening the bible with someone who's in need of guidance and truth from the word of god will make your own soul to feel a passion for god's word and for god's work okay and so if you're feeling as though you have no interest in campus ministry or even evangelism open the bible with somebody and read it with them and as you do that it will awaken in your own heart interest in somebody else's salvation and that's for your own salvation friends we need to share the gospel for our own salvation yeah. we need to share god's word right so it's not just about them it's about us as well for our own salvation and this will fill our hearts with evidences of god's love and how god works with us so and as we're going over this first half of this session in a nutshell and it's very simple yeah biblical simplicity just simply the word and we'll talk more in the last session amy will give you guys tips on how to prepare for how to actually share the word practically yeah i'm just painting a picture for why the word in this session and how to do campus ministry simply the word yeah you guys can say that with me simply the word that's all you need nothing more nothing less no matter how smart they are i go to harvard and you know it's it's overrated, just so that you know. But people, people go there thinking they're so smart and they're above, you know, the Bible. And the Bible is. Do you guys know that there is nothing going to make you more smarter than reading God's word? Amen. It actually develops your mind. Yes. That's in Psalm 119, verse 99 to 100. David says, "You have made me wiser than my teachers because I study and meditate upon your testimonies." the very act of reading God's word there's nothing better nothing higher than the Bible nothing more 
And so if you're going to reach people, whether they're at Harvard or wherever they are, no matter how smart they think they are, they're not above God's word. And all it takes is just simply the word. And the act of studying it actually makes you smarter. So if you want to be smart, <laughs> study your Bibles. You want to get that 4.0 GPA? Get back to the word of God. Want to transition into the personal side of things? Because now you understand that we need to just share simply the word. But I'm going to argue this morning that we cannot share the word until we've had our own personal, living, transforming experience with the word. I'll give you an example here. If you are selling a medication, suppose it was to cure, uh, suppose leprosy. I'm just using a very simple, silly example. You guys will follow me, right? And you went to somebody and said, uh, what's your name? Randy. Randy? Rodney. Rodney. And I said, Rodney, I have this medication for leprosy. I think it's really good for you because you have leprosy. And then Rodney looks at me and I have leprosy. What is he going to think? <laughs> no, thank you, right? Because it hasn't cured me. You know what I'm saying? And so we cannot sell medicine that hasn't cured us. We can't walk around trying to sell a medication to people and ourselves have the same disease that that medicine supposes to cure because it makes no sense like you're living in a you're deluded you're mad you know if you if, if it really cures leprosy why aren't you cured you know what i'm saying and so if we're going to share the gospel with people friends before we can share that gospel we need to have our own transforming living experience because unless we are transformed by god's word our sharing it has no power because people need to see how the gospel has, its, has had this powerful, transforming, changing power in our own lives first. That's what lends power to our preaching of the word. When you see Paul's life, you see that pretty clearly, friends. He was radically different, radically transformed by Christ through the word. And when he spoke, it had power because of that. When Jesus spoke, friends, he was a living, breathing, uh, how do I say, embodiment of his own teachings and that gave his teaching power so if we're going to preach the gospel it has to begin guess where with our own hearts statement here from testimonies volume 7 and it says this the world will be convinced not by what the pulpit teaches but by what the church lives the minister in the desk announces the theory of the gospel the practical piety of the church demonstrates its power. The world is convinced by what? Not by what the pulpit teaches or preaches, but by what what the church lives. Your life transformed by the gospel is the most powerful sermon you could ever preach. And as you share the word with people, and they see your own life changed by the word, that's power. That's what it takes to turn the world right side up. Okay. The word transforming me before I can transform others through the word. What this means, friends, is that if we're going to do campus ministry, our personal time with God, our devotions are imperative. What did I say? Imperative. And I'm going to venture to say this morning that if you're going to wake up one day and not have time for devotions, don't go to class. Because you're more dangerous out there if you're not converted daily as a missionary. And you need to have that daily transforming encounter with God in his word. If you don't have that, don't go outside to class. I'm serious, guys. Because campus ministry is rife with what? Dangers. The very fact of the place where you are as a campus missionary, all kinds of theories don't at you. All kinds of error, all kinds of temptations. 
And you cannot afford to lose that power of God's word in you daily converting you. Because if you don't have that, you can't be effective as a missionary on a secular campus. And Gospel Workers, page 100, it says this. Follow this closely. One of my favorite quotations of all time. In the great conflict before us, he who would keep true to Christ must penetrate deeper than the opinions and doctrines of men. My message to ministers, young and old, is this. Guard jealously your hours for prayer, Bible study, and self-examination. Set aside a portion of each day for a study of the scriptures and communion with God. Thus you will obtain spiritual strength and will grow in favor with God. He alone can give you noble aspirations. And it continues. I want to focus on that phrase, guard jealously your hours for prayer and communion with God. That, prayer, that time of devotions, prayer, Bible study, and time talking with God, guard it jealously. Do you guys know what that means? How do you guard something jealously? Um, stupid example, but if you are in a, should I use this example? <laughs> if you're in a relationship, you guys know that's where I was going, right? Um, <laughs> and you truly love this person that you're with, you're jealous over them, right? And you, you, you want them for yourself. And you basically would go to any length, um, reasonable length, obviously, to keep them um, with you. But you kind of, you got them jealously. So if somebody hurts them, what do you do? You're hurt, right? You probably would want to get that person back. How could you hurt the person I love? Do you get what I'm saying? Am I making sense, guys? You are jealous over them. So if anybody hurts them, it's as if they've hurt you. And you would go to any lengths to vindicate them and to guard them, protect them from any harm or danger or any kind of hurt or pain, right? See, so see, we need to guard jealously our hours of personal devotions. That means that nothing can conflict with my time with God in the morning or in the evening, whenever it is you do your devotions. I encourage the morning time. Early morning is the best, well, for me at least. Different for different people. But this is saying that you cannot afford to let anything take away from that time you have with God. If it means I wake up and I have to run to class and I'm late, God jealously asks for prayer. Let that class suffer, I must have my time with Jesus. Let the class, let me be late, but I must not lose my time with Jesus. And I'm going to argue this morning that the reason why we can only be able to say that is when we can pray the prayer that says, give me Jesus or I die. One of my favorite reformers is a man by the name of John Knox. You guys heard of John Knox? Scottish reformer who, for lack of better words, was crazy for the Lord. And this man, what he wanted was to see Scotland converted in his day. And he was fearless, bold, and flinching. And it said that even in the presence of Mary, the queen of the, the Scots, he was bold and unflinching. Wherever men trembled, he was bold. And it says that one time he was praying, and his friends found him praying in this secret place of prayer. And all they heard was moanings, groanings, and um, just moanings and groanings. And they didn't, they didn't quite hear what he was saying. As they got closer, they heard, what, they heard him groan out. And all he said in that single prayer was time and time again, he just said, God, Give me Scotland or I die. 
Because all he said, Lord, give me Scotland, convert Scotland or I die. And that's all he wanted. And he wanted it so badly. He wanted it more than life itself, friends. He wanted to see Scotland converted more than life itself. And I'm going to challenge us this morning to pray that kind of prayer for God. Give me Harvard or I die. Give me Boston or I die. Give me University of Michigan or I die. Give me UC Berkeley, wherever you are, or I die. But the only reason... And get this closely, friends. The only reason why John Knox could say, give me Scotland or I die, was because he first said, give me Jesus or I die. Because you pray that prayer first and you, you love Jesus more than life itself. You say, give me Jesus or I die. Service for Christ becomes easy. You get what I'm saying? You can go all out because you understand that Christ means more to you than life itself give me Jesus or I die, then give me Scotland or I die. I want to illustrate this with an example, um, and you guys know this. Isaiah chapter 6, and I'm going to illustrate with this example, and we'll, this is one of the last things we'll look at, and we'll be done. Um, Isaiah 6. <clears throat> and by the way, when... When John Knox prayed that prayer, give me Scotland or I die, he knew that the only way to gain Scotland was through prayer. And so the man prayed, and he said that um, Mary, Queen of the Scots, which she said she feared the prayers of John Knox more than all the armies of Scotland. That's pretty crazy. And when people heard Knox is on his knees, they trembled. That's how powerful the man's prayers were. And all he prayed was, give me Jesus, give me Scotland, or I die. Isaiah 6, are you there? Yes. Anybody need mercy? Okay. Um, reading from verse 1. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the dome moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongues from off the altar, and laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Familiar passage, and I just want to use it to tease out the point that before we pray, give us my campus, give me whatever, or I die. We must first pray, give me Jesus, or I cannot live. In chapters 4 through 5, Isaiah is found preaching. And what's unique about this is that, for example, if in chapter 5, you read verse 8, Isaiah says, woe unto who? Unto them. Are you guys there? Woe unto them that do what? That join house to house. So woe unto them, right? Verse 11, what does he say? Woe unto, unto them. Uh, verse 20, what does he say? Woe unto, 
them. Verse 21, woe unto who? Unto them that are wise in their own eyes. 22, woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine. And you see, throughout chapter 5, what is Isaiah saying? Woe unto them, woe unto them, woe unto them. In chapter 6, what's the difference? He says, woe unto? Woe is me. What has changed? Chapters 5 and 6. Chapter 5, he's saying, woe unto them, woe unto Praise preaching damnation upon others. One to them, one to them, more unto them. In chapter 6, if you guys are there in verse 5, it says, woe is me. It's no longer woe unto others, but woe unto me. What makes the difference, chapter 5 and chapter 6? The vision of the Lord's holiness. And when we talk about devotions, friends, that's what we're talking about. That vision of God's holiness that for Isaiah puts his own life into perspective. Before it was woe unto others, now it's woe unto me, right? And what he sees in verses 2 and 3, he sees the Lord in his holiness. And all he hears are the seraphim crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he sees a vision of God's holiness. And in devotional time, friends, we need to see God's holiness. When you come to the Bible in your personal time with Jesus and you're communing with him, Pray for a vision of God's holiness. Say, Lord, show me your holiness, your character in this passage I'm reading this morning. Every morning have a vision of God's what? Holiness. Because as a result of this vision, Isaiah sees what? His own sin, right? And he says, for the first time, it's woe is me, not woe unto others. And he has a sense of his own filth, his own wretchedness. In the light of God's holiness and God's righteousness, his own Filth just stands out that more strongly. And it's woe is me because I am unclean, right? Suddenly he sees God and he sees his own true condition, right? And in devotional time, there has to be that vision of God's, God's uh, beauty, God's holiness, God's character. And as we see that, we see our own true condition of heart. And when Isaiah sees this, he feels unworthy to even preach, right? He's, I'm, a, I'm a man of unclean lips, right? Which is true. Before he was preaching, unaware of his own true condition, but now having seen the Lord, he sees his own true heart, and he says, Lord, I am unworthy, woe is me. That has to be a daily thing, a daily devotional experience of seeing God's holiness in his word, and then saying, woe is me, having that moment of seeing our own true heart condition. So devotions, first of all, must show you a picture of God's holiness. Secondly, as you see that picture of God's holy character, you see your own sin, your own true heart condition. And what happens after this is that one of the seraphim flies to Isaiah with a coal, a live coal, right, um, and touches what? His lips. Now, I don't know about you guys, but the lips are one of the most sensitive parts of your body, right? You ever try to bring a live coal to your lips? How does that feel? It hurts, right? Devotional time will hurt sometimes because you're going to get there and you're going to see your own true heart condition and God will have to bring a live coal to your lips in devotional time and it's going to hurt. And I imagine as Isaiah sees the seraphim flying towards him, he has a chance to look away or to turn away from the coal, right? But he doesn't. The coal must touch his lips, right? And so in devotional time, friends, that coal, that double-edged sword coming from your study of God's word must touch your lips. As much as it, as it hurts, it only purges away the sin. It doesn't burn the lips. Do you get what I'm saying? It will purge away the sin, not burn the lips. It will hurt, but it's purging away the sins. 
And that's why devotional time is about friends. It's about that real heart encounter with God when you actually see your own heart and say, Lord, woe is me. And that live call from God's word touches your lips, whatever of you is unclean, and you have a cleansing experience with God every day in his word. Am I being clear, friends? That's devotions. It has to be real cutting and it has to hurt. It has to get to the heart of the matter. Because every day, every day we have things that we need to come clean before God of. You know, sometimes we are afraid to be real with God. You know what I mean? We come to God in the morning, Lord, give me a blessed day, amen, and we go away. And yet, we are struggling with pride, struggling with impatience, battling with hatred or envy or jealousy. And we don't talk to God about things that really hurt, the things that really matter. Now we say, is God bless me, bless my studies, bless my parents, bless my food, amen, and we go to class. No, that's not devotions. Devotions must get to the heart of your woe is me moment. Woe is me, I have no patience. Lord, I need a call from the altar. And the altar, I love that imagery, friends. The altar in the sanctuary represented what? The cross, right? The altar of burnt offering where Jesus' blood was shed. And so the, the coal comes from the altar, from the cross of Christ. That's where the cleansing comes from. But um, devotions has to be a heart encounter. It can't just be that regular, I'm just going to open the Bible and just read uh, John 1, verse 1, amen, go to class. No. He has to be open the word. See a vision of God's what? Holiness. See my heart's what? True condition. And then say, woe is me. Father, touch my lips with a call from the altar. In your word. Is this making sense, friends? Yes? yes? It's resonating? And at the end of the day, all I would say is in your devotional time, just be real with God. Just be real. You know, don't come to God and say, Father, uh, don't, because you know, you know what the paradox is, guys? God already knows what our struggles are. Yes. He already knows. So why are you going to try to hide from him? It's like he sees your heart. Tando, I know there's envy in your heart. Yes. Talk to me about it. Let me have that cold touch your heart. Do you know what I'm saying? So devotions has to be real heart encounter. And before this experience, you can't preach the gospel. If you haven't had this daily conversion, this is conversion right here. It has to be a daily experience because if you don't have this, you can't preach the gospel. After the cold touches his lips, then comes the commission. Do you see that? The sequence is important, guys. Before the commission, there's cleansing. Before he is sent, there's a heart encounter with God alone. It's just Isaiah and God, and this vision, and Isaiah says, woe is me. So before we can even preach the word, because it's the word that we need to preach, before we can even preach the word, before the commission to go, there's a cleansing, a heart encounter with God. Every morning, every single what? Morning. And if we don't have this, we cannot preach, friends. In chapter, in, um, chapter 6, verse 8, when the Lord says, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? The response is immediate and quick. And he says, here am I, do what? Send me. Because there's been a cleansing. Because there's been a heart encounter with God. And the real reason why I think sometimes we don't have a need for this kind of devotions is that we don't sense our heart's true condition. Is that we think we are fine. I mean, we, we know we are sinners, but we think that we are fine. Let me see a personal anecdote, um, personal story. Earlier this year, I did something to a friend of mine, a close friend of mine, something really despicable. I don't even know why I did it. Um, but I didn't know, I didn't realize what I had done until that friend um, blasted me about it, confronted me about it. And I remember when I 
got off the phone with this friend of mine, I was, I was heartbroken. You know when you realize you've done what you think you could never do? And you've seen that side of yourself you didn't know was there. It's like, I didn't know I had this in me, but it's there and it stares you in the face and you're like, woe is me. <laughs> and I had that experience and you know, the next morning guys, I woke up before my alarm for devotions. Do you know why? Because more than ever before, I knew I needed Jesus. It's like I didn't need my alarm to, because I just knew I was a sinner, I was vile, filthy, because how could I do this against a close friend of mine? And because I felt my need so greatly, I woke up early in time. I, I needed devotions. Do you get what I'm saying? I needed my time with Jesus. And if we don't see our heart's true condition, we're not going to need Christ that badly. We're going to just come by and just go through devotions and think we are fine. But we must have the sense of God's character, who God is and who we are, and see our heart's true need and say, Lord, I must have Jesus or I will die. That's devotions. I must have Jesus now or I will die. Because it's true. If you don't have Christ, you are dead, practically dead. And so in devotional time, it has to be, your prayer has to be, I must have Jesus or I will die. Give me Jesus or I die. So when it's time for, and you wake up late and there's class to go to, no, class can wait. I must have Jesus first. Class can wait. I must have Jesus. And this is a daily thing, friends, daily encounter with God, a daily heart cutting, cleansing encounter with Jesus. I must have Jesus or I die. On this campus today, Lord, this devotional time this morning, give me Jesus or I die. And once I have this encounter with Jesus, then I can go on to class and go on to the rest of my day. Before that encounter, don't even go out. Love Jesus more than life itself, more than class, more than anything else, because he is more than that. And you need him. We need him. Am I clear? Yes. Making sense? Yes. Cup of quotations here. <clears throat> this is from SP. I don't remember where that is. <laughs> but it says, the more... Wait, did I lose my direction? There it is. The more that the minister of Christ associates with his master through contemplation of his life and character, the more closely will he resemble him and the better qualified he will be to teach his truths. Do you follow that, friends? What qualifies us to teach the truths of God? The more closely we are what? resemble him. And how do we come to resemble him? By associating with him and contemplating his life and character, that vision of God's character in his life. As we contemplate that and we have the Isaiah 6 encounter, we become more and more like him and we become better qualified to teach his truths. Without this, we are not qualified at all. Not qualified without this kind of experience. So we need this to qualify us to preach the word of God on our campuses. <clears throat> and at the end of that it says if we have this kind of experience we will be better prepared to lead souls to Christ and Jesus is our example the next quotation when the cities were hushed in midnight slumber when every man had gone to his own house Christ our example would repair to the Mount of Olives and there amid the overshadowing trees would spend the entire night in prayer. Now this is crazy for me friends because wait am I with you did I lose you? There it is I'm sorry I should have wait you guys didn't tell me 
I'm busy reading and I'm thinking you're with me and you didn't say anything. Um, when the cities were hushed in midnight slumber, when every man had gone to his own house, Christ, our example, would repair to the Mount of Olives and there, amid the overshadowing trees, would spend the entire night in prayer. Now, this is crazy for me because, like I was saying before, Christ was sinless and Christ was perfect, right? But you see, if Christ felt the need of prayer and time with God that greatly, how much more should we need and sense our need for God in devotions every single day? Jesus could spend entire nights in prayer. Sinless Son of God spends entire nights in prayer. You guys ever stayed up late studying? Students will stay up all night trying to finish that paper, that assignment, that whatever it is. But stay up all night to pray? No, that's crazy. Where do we sense our need? Do we really sense how vile and how much we need Jesus, friends? Because if we did, we would, our priorities would be reversed. That class, I would study, and please get me correctly, we need, <laughs> let me not be misunderstood here. Excel in class, yes, but also spiritually. And don't let one override the other. You need both academic and spiritual excellence. And this is spiritual excellence right here is saying, give me Jesus, because I need him more than life itself. And if it means staying up all night to pray, I must, because I must have Jesus, because otherwise I cannot live. So if it means giving up an entire night to pray, I will do that because I need Jesus. Read this one closely, and I hope it's showing this time. No, it's not. Is it there? I'm unable. I'm unable to describe to you the impression made upon my mind when I realize that many, even among our brethren who are teachers of the word, are not daily converted. Christ stands ready to impart wisdom and grace, but those in important positions of responsibility cannot guide others in the right path unless they are converted daily. They cannot guide others into truth unless what? They are converted daily. So unless we have this Isaiah 6 experience daily, we cannot guide people to truth. We, even if we try to, we cannot. Guys. It's impossible. It's not may not, it's cannot. It's an impossibility. So if we are not converted daily, we cannot guide others into the right path of truth. The next one will... I'm reading the important parts of this. Will my brethren take heed that no glory is given to men. Will they acknowledge that Christ does the work upon the human heart and not they themselves? Will my ministering brethren plead with God alone in sacred prayer for his presence and his power? Now read this closely. Can you actually read it with me? Dare not. Dare not preach to another. dare not preach another discourse until you know by your own experience what Christ is to you. So what that is saying is, until you know 
for yourself what Jesus can do for you until you've said, give me Jesus or I die, do not dare to preach. Don't even dare because you cannot do it. If you don't have this daily devotional experience, don't even dare give a Bible study. You can't, cannot do it. Be daily converted and know by your own experience what Christ is to you. Because then when you do that, then you can point them to the Savior and say, behold the Lamb of God. This is serious business. This is serious. If we're not daily converted and we don't have our own encounter with Christ, we cannot lead others to him. It's impossible. Last text we'll read today, John 12. <clears throat> John chapter 12. And somebody read verse 41. It is second to last text. I'm sorry. Are you there? John 12, 41. I love the way the translation puts it. Because the King James says, this thing, These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spoke of him. But the word then, there is the word because. So the text is saying, Isaiah spoke these things because he saw what? His glory. So why did Isaiah speak of him? Because he what? Saw, saw his glory. glory. He spoke because he had seen his glory. If he hadn't seen his glory, he could not have spoken of it. Simply put, so before you can even speak of Christ and his glory, you must see it for yourself, daily conversion with that heart encounter with Jesus. Unless you have that, you cannot speak about Christ. You can't speak about him before you say it and you've had that true heart. Give me Jesus today, this morning, or I die. And if you don't have that experience, you cannot share Christ. You can't speak of his glory. Now, I know some of you are thinking, devotions, so hard. Sometimes you don't want to do it, right? Sometimes you wake up and just don't feel like doing it. Am I resonating with somebody here? Just like, I must get to class, I'm late, I've got a test to write, I have no time. Students struggle with time. <laughs> and we'll do a time, um, how to manage your time session this afternoon. But I want to read this because I think when I saw this, I was kind of taken aback because you think Ellen White is perfect, prophet of the Lord, right? Read this quotation with me and I hope it's the right one. And it says, it may be difficult for you, right? Maybe what? Difficult for you to love to study the word of God at once when you have not been in the habit of studying it, but God will help you. Pray for his forgiveness for neglecting his holy word so long. And then beg of the Lord to give you a love and interest in his word, being earnest in the matter. When I lose my love for the Bible, I am alarmed. I know that I do not love Jesus if I do not love to search what? The book that testifies of him. U.S. Instructor, page June 1st, 1856. Even as a prophet of the Lord, as a minister of the gospel, she had moments when she lost her love for the Bible. And she says, this alarms me, right? Because if you don't love to spend time studying the book that talks about Jesus, you don't love Jesus. But if you love him, you love to read the word that talks about him, right? And so it says, if you don't find yourself loving to have devotions, if you don't find yourself loving to read and study God's word, what should you do? 
pray for what? The love and the truth. First, I pray for forgiveness for neglecting his word so long. Neglecting God's word is what? A sin. Pray for forgiveness for neglecting God's word so long. And after you prayed for forgiveness, beg of the, you know what it means to beg? It's not a casual, can I have this kind of asking, it's begging the Lord. In earnest, uh, Lord, I must have this. Beg of the Lord to give you what? Love and interest in, in his word. Be in earnest in the matter, friends. So if you find yourself not loving that devotional time, pray for forgiveness, then ask the Lord to give you love and interest in his word. Because unless you have your own time in God's word through devotions, you cannot preach the word of the gospel. And Isaiah's vision of God was a literal vision. We can actually see heaven open and we see the glory of the Lord. But in his word, we see it, right? So when we talk about us seeing God's holiness, we see it in his word. And so that's why we need to have that daily encounter, that daily real heart matter in the word of God. Five minutes and I'm wrapping up. I want to read a last text. This is the last, last text. John chapter 6. Um, John chapter 6. And I'm just going to skip to the, the heart of the verse that I want to read. Um, 53 to 58. I won't read the whole thing. I just, this chapter talks about Jesus being the bread of life. John chapter 6, right? And I just want to come down to verse 57. And 56 and 57. You guys there? It says, He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall do what? Live by me, right? Jesus says, I live by the Father because he has sent me. In the same way, if I send you, you must live how? By me, literally. Jesus has to be the bread of your life. You know when you eat bread, physically speaking, it becomes digested, right? And then how does it go into your bloodstream? taken all, all over your body, where it does what? Help build up your body, right? In the same sense, spiritually, we need to eat Jesus. And please don't, don't miss, oh, did I just say that? Do you, know, you, you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. He has to be our bread, our spiritual bread. And so every morning, it's eating the bread of life, Jesus himself, and having this bread ingested, digested, becoming part of our being. Because that's what it means to have the Word of God wrought into our very being, our very existence. We are living, breathing, uh, moving uh, testimonies of the power of God's Word. We eat it and it becomes part of us and part of our being and it changes our being. Make sense? Every single day, that's a campus missionary. And if you don't have that, you can't be a campus missionary. It's that simple. Last quotation. And this one is one of my favorites. It's in the Day of Ages, but I took this from a UN Herald. All true obedience comes from the heart. Comes from where? The heart. It was hard work with Christ. And if we consent, he will so identify himself with our thoughts and aims, so blend our hearts and minds into conformity to his will, that when obeying him, we shall be but carrying out our own impulses. I think we missed that. Because <clears throat> if we got it, the melody, man. It says, if we do what? 
we consent, right? He will so identify himself with our thoughts and aims that when obeying him, we shall be but carrying out our own what? Impulses. What's an impulse? A what? What's an impulse? Okay, just like a spontaneous reaction, right? They're saying that if we have this experience, when obeying Jesus, we'll be but carrying out our own impulses. That's what Christ wants to do, to so blend our hearts and minds into conformity to his will, to so blend himself into our thoughts and aims that we'll become just like him. And if we become just like him, then we can work for him. We'll be effective workers for Christ. We'll be just like Jesus. And Christ's ministry was successful. He is the best example of what a missionary is. You know? And so if we blend our hearts, and notice how he says all we have to do is to do what? To consent. What does that mean? Surrender. Surrender. Just say yes. Just say yes. Is that easy? Just say yes. So when you wake up in the morning, I know it's hard. Just say yes. Yes, Jesus, I'll wake up. When you read that devotion and it cuts your heart and God has to take something away from you, say, yes, Lord, take it away. It's fine. Yes. Just consent. Just say yes. And if you do that, he will so blend himself, blend your heart, your mind into conformity to his will that when obeying him will be by carrying out our own impulses. This is what it means to live by Jesus, to live by him, to live by him, literally. And this is what it takes to be able to then preach the word, to have this word living, dwelling in us. So when we preach it, it's with power and conviction. Because people can see that the medicine has done what? It's cured us first. And then it can actually cure, cure them. Make sense? All right, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. At the end of the day, all I have to say is just live by Jesus. Live just by the word. And don't lose your devotion at time. Whatever you do, do not lose it. You need it. Amen. And let the prayer of your heart be, I must have Jesus or I cannot live. I can't go to class. I cannot live if I don't have Jesus. And if we do that, our ministries will have power, friends, Amen. power. That's where power comes from, from devotional time. And um, tomorrow's session will have more um, tools on how, how to do devotion, how to actually study. But this is just the why we need devotions. You know, and so we need them. We need Jesus or we cannot live. And if we say, give me Jesus, Jesus or I die, then we can say, give me the world or I die. It becomes easy. You know, and, so, and we want that, amen? Yeah. We want to end the world. We want to end the work. Before we can get there, give me Jesus. Daily or I die. Yeah. Let's rise for prayer. Father in heaven, forgive us, Lord, if we have not felt our need of you. Forgive us if we've taken our time with you lightly. Father, we want to be like Jesus. We want to love him more than life itself. We want to value our time with him every morning because we need him, Lord, more than life itself. If we don't have this desire, forgive us and give it to us, dear Father. Do the rest of this day teach us, transform us, and make us better qualified to be vessels you can rightly use. If anything was unclear this morning, give us the urge to go and study it further to have a deeper understanding of your word and of the power that it is to change our lives and the lives of those around us. Be with us now and bless us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.